0: You're listening to the Finishing Strong podcast, a lifestyle podcast for men who want to thrive in the third quarter season of their life, but need a sustainable plan. I'm your host, Steve Poniotu, and my life has been dramatically changed and influenced by some of the most knowledgeable and thoughtful people in their respective fields. I want to share these ideas and people with you, and perhaps they can do the same for you. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm finishing strong. This is episode one, and I am proud to have uh, Brian Sanders on, and he is the author, if you would, or the filmmaker of a new film out there called "Food Lies." And um, before I explain it, I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to allow him to give his own bio and and. And tell you how he came to make this movie and what he's doing and how it affects us and the food we eat and where we go. So welcome, Brian. Tell us a- about yourself and how you came to where you are now. And then we'll go from there.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I, well, I guess I could do a quick recap of how I got here because it is a kind of a weird journey. I grew up in Hawaii, and then I went to mechanical engineering school, UCLA, and I think that got me a good technical background in science and logical thinking that kind of paved my way and got into tech and then got back into film, and around that time, my parents had uh, terrible health problems, and we we grew up eating a pretty healthy diet. You know, we kind of followed the food pyramid We didn't eat fast food much at all, you know, it was a a big treat to go out for fast food, but they just kept packing on the pounds in that belly area as they grew older. And pretty soon they both had chronic disease and I lost my dad to prostate cancer and my mom is at stage seven Alzheimer's, just unresponsive. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that it was based on food. Like a lot of these diseases we think are genetic, are actually metabolic disease. You know, you can talk about Thomas Seyfried, a great doctor researcher, looking at cancer as a metabolic disease, and Dale Bredesen looking at reversing and treating Alzheimer's with diet and lifestyle. And I actually talked to both of those people last weekend at a conference and interviewed them. But uh, they, uh, through my health journey, you know, started off by my parents. I, I myself, got a lot healthier, even though I was in pretty good shape my whole life and athletic and you know i thought i was doing fine but i think a lot of people out there think they're doing fine and they don't realize how they could be doing what, what's the next level of health out there or they're just plain not healthy right And need to make changes but i think it was interesting for me to just be a normal sort of fit person and then go through so many changes once i started researching nutrition more and and practicing some of these changes and different types of food and cutting some things out so that was very enlightening for me and i around the same time saw what the health that vegan film on netflix and i just realized i had to do something about it this is this is crazy like things people need to get this information and uh yeah so i started making this film and now we're we're Basically done filming it, and we're in post production. So we're kind of just, um, kind of actually looking for some audit some crowdfunding help at that very end to finish it off. But uh, that's where we're at today.
0: Well, that's great, Brian. This uh, podcast is really focused on men in their fifties, and yes, women, and hopefully their their wives and and kids can listen too. But when did you start noticing? your parents you know becoming metabolically unhealthy and and where are they now are are they how old are they and how are they um doing now and and go from there
1: yeah it i guess it started in their 50s where they were in pretty good shape my dad used to run a lot and and then all of a sudden it just kind of catches up to you where they're just not as active anymore. And and then you just see that belly start forming. And a lot of people just think, oh, well, that's just getting older. But it it's not. That's not what getting older is about. And you know that. And we talked about that. Uh, so, it, it was just a slow progression that you don't really notice. And I didn't notice. And I went off to college. You know, my parents were a bit older. Uh, my dad died from prostate cancer at 72. And my mom now is around 70. So she's, I mean, she's at the very end, but she's about, she's pretty young for um, someone with Alzheimer's of this stage. So, yeah.
0: Sorry to hear that. So with that, you, you said, what the heck's going on? And so that's my question to you. How did we get here? How did we think that, that age, you know, you, we just age and we're going to get fat and we're going to have our joints aren't, aren't going to, they're going to be creaky and, and painful and, and, and those kind of things. And we just say, oh, that's just old age. How did we get here?
1: Well, the bigger picture is that we just normalize it now. That every, We've created a society that that is normal. And so, then you have to ask why, how did we create the society? I guess could be the better question, which is what the film investigates is how did, and I think, well, it really started with modern agriculture. I've read different books. You could read Guns, Germs and Steel or uh, Story of the Human Body by Daniel Lieberman or um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. A lot of these books kind of Mention our kind of slow decline since modern agriculture and humans have been less robust and less healthy and and our brains got smaller actually when we developed modern agriculture. And no one really knows this. I didn't know this until deep into my research that we were a lot healthier when we just were hunt, hunter and gatherers. People have this misconception of us dying at 30 and being you know, a mess. And that's, couldn't be further from the truth. We were strong, tall, big, bigger brains. And it's all been downhill since the agricultural revolution um, or uh, modern agriculture, you know, s- tens of thousands of years ago. But when, you then, say,
0: when you say modern agriculture, define that
1: for us. Well, when we started cultivating c- crops like wheat, I mean, this was, this was people think 10,000 years ago i mean the egyptians ate a lot of wheat that's they kind of developed it we think to feed slaves to build the pyramids it's like how do we feed the masses cheaply and easily and and that's when we first saw signs of poor health actually if you look back at the record they had bad teeth they had atherosclerosis in their arteries they, and they seem to this is the beginning of the malnutrition that started and now we just think this kind of mal, low level malnutrition is normal and it's continued into you know the past 50 years is really when we started getting this bad information that really contributed even more to the chronic disease and obesity with um, the, the whole Ansel Keys stories where he looked at cholesterol and saturated fat and we, we kind of thought that that was why people were getting heart disease. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a whole nother story, but I just kind of jumped way ahead to the modern times right. where, where we um, got this sort of bad science. We didn't have all the right equipment back then. We didn't have, you know, even good ways to do nutritional science back then. And we made some conclusions and we thought, well, low fat, fat is bad let's let's start off on this low fat diet we'll make the food recommendations guidelines food pyramid and that's when we really have accelerated in this poor health and you know cover a lot of this in the movie but it's based on these this food pyramid of starches and grains at the bottom you know six to twelve servings a day low fat you know that that's just where we really started going wrong
0: right yeah and that you know begs the question of how we got fat and you know the great book by tobbs um that you've studied and we've all read and and it really looks at that and explain that um from from that point I mean from like the early 70s or even if you yeah. want to get into ansel keys um that kind of thing cuz many of our listeners are just they they're not <laughs> entrenched in this as you and yeah. I are yeah, so, yeah.
1: We nerd out about it too much. So yeah, I'll I'll do my kind of high level recap of what I see happen. Just yeah, I've read I don't know, maybe a hundred books and I've done so so much research and looked at this from all sides. But what I think really happened is around then we got every macronutrient wrong. <laughs> right? The fat, carbs and protein. We just kind of got each of those wrong and there's a long story behind each, but you know. Just So, I just explained fat, right? We thought fat was bad, even though for all of history, we've been seeking fat. Humans were fat hunters. There's a lot of archaeological re- evidence and p- different people like anthropologists talking about all we cared about was fat throughout history. And and then all of a sudden, we got that completely backwards and started going low fat. So, we got fat completely wrong. We We got carbs completely wrong. It went from us thinking in the 50s and earlier, people knew carbs made you fat. You know, I've seen tons of these old advertisements through my research of, you know, like women, like housewives, you know, every, you know, and everyone knows, you know, don't eat your bread. Like it, it we, we had this message before. People knew that carbs were fattening. And then we just flipped it. And then the protein, we, we got that wrong too, where there's a long story of the demonization of meat. That started, I think, maybe, you know, the 1860s, which is a whole story with uh, Dr. Gary Fetke and his wife actually dug up. He's an Australian uh, orthopedist, a surgeon, doctor who got called out and silenced for talking about people not eating carbs and sugar, or really he was just saying don't eat sugar. So that's a whole nother story. But we got protein wrong. We started demonizing meat. So if you get each of these three macronutrients wrong and our views wrong, then that I think just slowly led to the entire epi- epidemic of obesity, right? If we just were just confused on these.
0: So it's interesting because they we had it right until a period of time and then somehow – we just lost it. We lost the the definition and and the physiology of these macronutrients, and how do we do that? How did did is it is it political? Is it uh um uh, is it done on was it done on purpose? What or was this a, a mistake? How do we get it? How do we do it right for millennia, and then we get to the to the
1: 50s and 60s, and we just forget everything we knew? (laughs) That's a great question. There's so many sides to it. And some people have conspiratorial theories about it, and I don't believe in that. I believe that companies are just trying to make money. So, a lot of this stuff, when we thought that fat was bad, that kind of gave the green light to make low-fat products. So, the big food companies started doing that. And that's that's just their operation that's just what they do right they just make money and they're like hey sure. oh we can take all these cheap ingredients like flour and sugar and vegetable oils and there's it's so cheap we'll make all these like bogus products sell them to these the masses and make tons of money the the expensive foods are the protein the you know the meat and the vegetables and the fish and the eggs like there's no real margin on those ingredients so we're just going to stuff a bunch of trash sugar, oil, and gr- and grains into these products and make tons of money. And so, <laughs> th- that that was a huge factor there. And then I love this kind of idea of how we got fat as well is the dilution of protein that all these products, the, if you've heard of the protein leverage hypothesis, you humans eat until we get enough pr- protein kind of, right? It's like I I'm going to eat until I get my portion of protein that my body needs. So, if you stuff a bunch of sugar refined oils and grains in there with these packaged foods, then I'm just going to keep eating and they they're taste so good and then I could still eat them because my body's not getting enough protein. So, I'll just eat and eat and eat and it's it's hard to get full off of these, right? So, right. so, that's, so that's part of the whole problem with this packaged foods. Before, I thought processed foods were bad because… They have like preservatives in them, right? I thought that was the only reason why they were bad. It's like, oh, well, they, they had some like preservatives. And I think a lot of people think that. And of course, they're not good. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's like the very small problem in processed foods. The real problem is the sugar refinals and grains that are stuffed in the diluting all the good stuff, right? The little bit of protein incident. That's why they're bad. I mean, I think the preservatives are the very, very small piece of that. So, so yeah, we... We okay, there's so much to say about how, where we went wrong. But I think it's in general, it's this modernization in the fifties kind of was happening. So everyone thought that these these things, these convenience and this kind of new modern way of living and they marketed to housewives, like this is how you, you know, have a modern life and you have a ready-to-go dinner and it's so like use the microwave and this is like the you know, the cool new thing. And so, we just got on this track where instead of, for all of history, it was obvious, you just eat real food. You just eat animals and your farm and you eat the vegetables and the, whatever you can grow. Then it changed to, let's let's package foods. It's process, modernization. We're going to, you know, make this oil and do all these different ways to refine it and package foods. So
0: Yeah, it, so- it sounds like the Jetsons kind of thing, you know? Yeah. When you watch that cartoon, you see these, that they were so modern and so cool that they had these, you know, envelopes with food stuffs in them. And and now we see it on, you know, in the 50s and 60s as being, you know, the tinfoil uh, little uh, trays of, of food. You'd watch TV and eat your uh, TV dinner and that all little portions are se- segmented out for yeah. you know a little little spot for a veggie, little little spot for you know a potato, and then your, your Salisbury steak. But all of that is processed, and this is this is the beginning of what you're talking about this this processed food epidemic, which is um, getting away from you know where where our ancestors came from and making and cooking. Um, real food with you know on the stove and not preparing these things in foils and 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 TV trays and that kind of thing. So get into um the scientific evidence, if you will, of what we should eat.
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, so that's what I wanted to go into the film as well so it's a, we're going to look at where we went wrong. but let's look at all the science on what we should be eating. So, I'm kind of trying to get it down into six categories, like six lines of evidence. So, it's like evolution, we'll look at modern clinical uh, clinical evidence, we can look at randomized controlled trials, we can look at epi- epidemiology, which a lot of times goes bad badly in nutrition science when we're looking at associational data and a lot of bad science actually that's got us in this p- position has been based on epidemiology, right? But we can look at that as well. And we can look at genetics, we can look at um, all these things, and then we can make a decision on what we should eat. We can even look at the environment, because a lot of people throw in the environment into making decisions about nutrition, which they're completely separated. They should be unrelated when we want to know what we should be eating, right. and then we can make some decisions about the environment later. But somehow, they're, they're it's always thrown in there, is why vegans try to say... You know it's bad for the environment. We shouldn't be eating this, but you know what? I looked at this in the in the film as well. I went down this whole environmental path, and I realized that it's it eating animals and cows is is actually good for the environment if it's done properly. And even the way we're doing it now is pretty pretty good, actually. So, so yes, so we can kind of go into each of those individually, but it, it they all kind of line up to show that there is a certain way we should be eating and it's not one size fits all i'm not trying to make some like kind of like propaganda film that's opposite of what the health and you know saying that everyone needs to do this way Um, through all my research and you know i I have a podcast and talk about this stuff i have like videos and social media it's it's not just about the film but i'm trying to spread the information that there's a, a framework of what we should be eating and it all aligns and everything makes sense and it's pretty simple. And so, um, a lot of people don't know that there's been tons of studies, especially in the past 10, 15 years, that have shown how well a low-carb, high-fat diet works in many different ways for weight loss, for type 2 diabetes treatment for even diseases like epilepsy and, you know, people using ketogenic metabolic therapy to control seizures and to reverse glioblastomas. You know, I went to the conference this weekend and heard all these amazing stories of people using this high fat, low carb, you know, actual ketogenic metabolic therapy to, to treat things like brain tumors. So, there's a lot of science out there that people listening who aren't you know studying this stuff like me and you that show that not only is a low carb high fat diet safe but it's actually superior in many many tests and studies to other types of diets.
0: Brian, could you um briefly just go over the different types of Evidence or, or or studies. You talked about epidemiology. You talked about you know there's double blind placebo and all that kind of stuff. Just really quickly, what 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 is the least compelling study, and what is the most compelling mm. study? And if you can go just yeah, yeah. generally for the average person that aren't scientists like myself, I mean, just yeah, go over that real quick.
1: So you start. At the bottom, which is just observation, just pure clinical observation, you know, just n of one stories, which, which has the least weight, but they can be interesting and they can be used to draw conclusions, right? So, a doctor just sees patients and they're like, huh, people are doing this and it's working. Then you can go into like epidemiology or associational data or these studies where they look population studies and they use food questionnaires and they ask people, what have you eaten and all that kind of thing. Right? So that we're just looking and we're we're looking at what people are doing and then we're making conclusions from that right? We're not they're not conclusions, sorry, absolutely not conclusions. We're making um, further questions observations, based, observations questions. based on that, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah it's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. All the people who are eating you know more vegetables are living longer. Hmm, let's like look at that. And then you get into randomized controlled trials. And within those trials, there's all, you know, different levels of double-blind placebo. There's, yeah, randomized. There's all kinds of ones in there. But the gold standard is these actual clinical trials that would, be, yeah, and, and randomized control double-blind placebo. All those fancy words just mean that um, that's the best we can do to really isolate the variables and actually draw conclusions based on those
0: right that's good i mean cuz and 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 so when people see some of the headlines from you know newspapers or magazines what sh- what should they look for um when they just kind of peruse them what are what are some of the buzzwords to say you know this is just observational or uh, epidemiological yeah. or something like that
1: well that's hard. Most stuff you read in the news is really biased and a lot of times the the journalist or person writing the article doesn't even read the actual paper, but they always use words like lead to or mights cause or are associated with or tend to. Like a lot of these words, these kind of soft words that and and they try to they're trying to make money, right? They're trying to have these big headlines. Oh, meat greater meat consumption leads, you know, Could cause or is shown to, you know, have cause more cancer, right? It's that then you look into it and they, it's not always true. There's a sort of a longer story if you look at absolute risk compared to relative risk, right? So if say someone, they say red meat caused cancer, and you look at it's like, okay, so 1% of people eat, just to make an easy number, 1% of people. who eat eat a normal diet get cancer and one and two percent will will get cancer from eating meat so that's they'll say it's double the cost because it went from one to two percent but really it was a test maybe they looked at 500 people and you know two extra people got cancer and who knows why those two extra people got cancer and then that so that two people Changed it from 1% to 2% because, you know, it was a small sample size. And then now the headlines are double the risk of cancer. So, you have to look out for these and it's pretty hard to, you know, actually find that unless you go look at the study. So, just just know in general, on both sides, right? In anything you read, just think, huh, well, are they trying to sell ads on this website? Um, you know, is, just kind of think about it a little bit.
0: Yeah. And, and I think also is finding out who's doing the study um, and, you know, who's putting this on. And cause you know, in, in, a, in a lot of those kind of studies, they're going to, they're not going to publish something that they don't want out there um, typically, but yeah, find out who's putting it on, where the money came from. And, and that kind of thing would be helpful as well, I think.
1: Absolutely. And pharmaceutical companies, they actually don't have to publish. When they do studies, they don't even have to publish them if they don't go their way. So, I didn't really know that either, which is really surprising, is they can do all these trials and they have all these ways to manipulate them. And then if they don't go their way, they just won't publish them. So, right, so it's really messed up.
0: Right. So, when you looked at all of these and you in the film, you, you interview some of the you know, top researchers and and top practitioners and people in nutrition and well respected in in this field and others. Um, what are some of the underlying um, theories of nutrition that, and um, that that you can just generally? And we talk. And you mentioned earlier, you're you're not. Saying, hey, this is the best diet and everybody should do it. What are some of the principles that you learned from these guys? Yeah.
1: yeah. I I mean, that's what I've been trying to do is digest this information for, it's been about four years I've been on this journey and maybe a year and a half of really digging in and, and I, yeah, I found some conclusions and it's the general things are what people don't eat. This is universal is the things I keep talking about sugar refined grains and vegetable oils that is universally from all sides from weston price you know a doctor who went around the world studying populations in the 1930s and what he what he found all the healthiest populations they didn't eat refined grains sugar and vegetable oils everything really aligns around this so that's the one thing you should stop eating is those things and that's all What's in processed foods and fast foods? So, and then what What are people doing correctly? And that big unifying thing is, well, they're eating whole foods. They're, they're just basic ingredients. I mean, they're not going to fast food and processed foods. Um, they're eating higher fat. We're embracing fat, right? Fat, we got that wrong. It's not bad for you. It's not causing heart disease. what's causing heart disease and all these problems is eating fat and carbs together. So that's another kind of unifying theme is that people who are healthy are going down one path or the other, right? There's not one path. There's There's kind of two general paths, right? There's like the sort of pescatarian down to vegan type of low fat, you know, low meat type of way which I don't think is optimal. But what they're doing correctly is they're avoiding sugars or fine grains and oils and they're, they're not eating fat and carbs together. And then there's the other path, which is paleo, keto, carnivore, This all this sort of new way of eating. And th- these people are finding great health as well because they're avoiding the middle danger zone of fat plus carbs and they're making other healthy decisions. So the the biggest theme biggest takeaway for your listeners is don't be in the middle. 90% of of America and the world is kind of stuck in the middle with this fat and carb combo. And the people on either side, if you really like tons of fruits and vegetables and you just want to eat a little fish and some, you know, eggs and be, you know, pescatarian, go down that path if you want, if that's what you prefer. If you if you enjoy meat and bacon and eggs and butter and then go down the high-fat path and you can do well. Just don't get caught in the middle.
0: Right. Yeah. And could you talk about those three things that were were to eliminate? Sugar, processed food, and the the, uh, refined oils? And just a a brief why they're bad. Yeah, yeah.
1: Sure. Well, sugar is really process for one thing. It, it's isolating, like we had sugar in nature before, but we only had it a few months out of the year and it was in berries and other fruits and it was had fiber and it was slower to digest and it wasn't as bad. And also it was used to kind of fatten us up, right? It's like when we had a lot of sugar in our diets <clears throat> throughout history, it was in the autumn, right before we were kind of going to the cold months. So it kind of was to fatten us up. It's just sort of a nature's system acorns and squirrels and you know these high fat and sugar combos so so sugar now that we've isolated it it's too it's just not good for humans right it's just it's a high it's a very high glycemic right it it raises your blood sugar people know this by now that you're gonna get a big spike in your blood sugar then your body's gonna have to secrete insulin to bring down your blood sugar and then later, you're you're gonna maybe dip below your blood sugar is gonna go low. You're hypoglycemic, and that, then you're hungry again. So a lot of people are on this sugar roller coaster because it's so isolated and refined out that it affects our body differently, right? It's we're not used to these big surges of sugar, and that also happens with the refined grains too. I mean, all these flour and all this stuff. It's it's too refined it's just not natural for our body and our body can't deal with it well so these these insulin roller coaster blood sugar roller coaster we're on is the kind of the root of all chronic disease like it really all goes to this you know type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance right and now we're talking about alzheimers they're calling that type 3 diabetes it's sort of insulin resistance of the brain your brain can't utilize glucose anymore and then you start having, you know, these cells, the neurons dying and amyloid plaques and all that kind of stuff. But really the, the, the problem was that your brain can't use those sh- sugar because it's become insulin resistant. So what you don't want to be, the number one thing you want to do as you age is not become insulin resistant, right? And then that and how people become insulin resistant, it, well, it's because you're eating too much fat and sugar or both together. Right. And, and I think sugar and the refined grains are the bigger problem here and they cause more of these blood sugar swings. And, and um, is this making sense? Just, just not getting that insulin resistance is, is it's huge. So that's why. Yeah. I think, I think
0: part of it too, is when, when I uh, consult with people, tell them to eliminate sugar. The first thing they say is, well, I don't want to eat sugar. I think they think of Sugar that in, in the contest we're talking about as being table sugar, and it's like, Oh, I don't put any sugar in my coffee, or I, you know, don't put it on my frosted flakes or anything. Talk a little bit about where sugars occur in our diet that yeah. we, we, they might not know.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, I started out with my movie poster showing a bowl of granola and a glass of orange juice, and th- like this is what was pitched to us as a healthy breakfast, but that. Is, you know, could be 100 grams of sugar right there. The granola stuffed with sugar, honey. There's so many. If you look at an ingredient list, it's all hidden too, where it's not just going to say sugar. It says, you know, uh, fruit, you know, using different fruit juice extracts or there's molasses or honey or you think oh well i'm using honey you know it's all natural but it's still sugar there's so there's so many ways i wish i had a list in front of me you can google this too it's like how many different versions of sugar there are that are stuffed in your food that you don't know about and there's all these different names i just can't think of them right now off the top of my head but just be 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 wary of that like you don't realize that just because you're not seeing the sugar that a lot of sugar is stuffed in there and and fruit like say dried fruit in the granola or a trail mix that's there's so much sugar in there that you're not even realizing so yeah
0: and we have to think of it as energy you know and 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 you know and you talked about the macros and the the picture i get is is sugar and and comes and most of it comes from plant sources um and then there's another form of energy as well that you mentioned, and that's fat. And one one has an advantage over the other. But people, you know, when you say sugar, I, was, oh, I don't, I don't eat sugar. I don't, I don't put any extra sugar on. Or, you know, you see some, you know, you look at the some of the ingredients on the on the bottle it says no added sugar. Um, but really, people aren't looking at. Uh, uh, everything that comes from plants is basically sugar, and there's some protein in there, and there's some minerals and in, in vitamins w- which we want, but they don't realize that all of that converts down to glucose, mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know plant based or just straight from the sh- you know the sugar dispenser or honey or those kind of things. So uh, I, I just think people just have a misconception about. Sugar in that context? Mm.
1: Well, carbohydrates. Yeah, any carbohydrate breaks down to sugar. Like you said, like plant matter or, or anything, but just think of any carb, any starchy food, that's also sugar. Yeah. So that's what people really don't realize. That potato is just breaking down into glucose. So here's my little kind of simple unifying theory of nutrition type of thing where food is, I say, food is four things, right? It's the three macros, it's fat protein carbohydrate and micronutrients is kind of the fourth thing we'll just group all vitamins and minerals into micronutrients so we right. have these four things so you want to focus the protein and the micronutrients are the building blocks of your body this is what you want to focus on this is what you care about the fat and the carbs are fuel sources Right. So, and you have to minimize those to your goals. So, you eat your, you, you should be eating for protein and micronutrients, and then you should choose fat or carbs. Don't do both and, and choose that as your fuel source. And the thing with fat is there's so many other benefits to it that I believe that we should all be choosing fat as our energy source because these essential fatty acids, there's no essential carbohydrate there's nothing in carbs that we actually need so there's many more benefits to having fat in your diet and when people become fat adapted when they switch their body's metabolism over to mainly utilizing fat as their fuel source a lot a lot of people find tons of benefits they find that their mental clarity is better their their brain works better they find they have um, sustained energy all day they're not as hungry anymore they, there's so many benefits to being fat adapted and using fat as your fuel source. So, so really, just know that all carbohydrates just turn into glucose, which is just a fuel source, and that fat is also a fuel source. The human body can use either one, but we should probably be running on fat.
0: <laughs> uh, I I love that, and I think you mentioned it earlier. The, the underlying uh, statement that y- you and I uh, resonate with is managing insulin, and fat does not uh, promote an insulin spike like carbohydrates. Mm, yeah. So for for that alone, I choose fat over carbs because my whole mantra is I want to manage my insulin. So I don't get insulin resistant. And and fat is is my fuel of choice because of that's one of the primary benefits, but all the other benefits that that come with fat as well. So um get into uh, why grains are so bad. Yeah. And processed I say processed I and we because we, we narrowed it down to processed foods, but I, I see grains as being one of the culprits in there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, like I said, like 10,000 years ago when we started eating grains, that's when we slowly declined. Um, I, I just don't think they're meant for humans to eat. Some people can get away with eating them and maybe they can do that their whole life. A lot of people get away with eating them until they're in their mid thirties. And then they start to realize they ha- they're having all these problems. Like, oh, I just, my joints hurt and or they have like, you know, digestive issues, all these little things. They don't know why they're happening. And there's a lot of evidence showing that this is from grains. And not everyone is gluten intolerant, right? Not everyone has celiac, but a lot of people, a lot of doctors think that there's a lot more people than we think that have some sort of gluten sensitivity, right, and coming from these grains. So, I think there's many reasons why we shouldn't be eating grains, especially because we didn't really... Evolve eating them until ten thousand years ago. They do have a higher, you know, carbohydrate, higher like insulin response when we eat them. But there's just some of the, these proteins and grains just don't do well in the in in the gut, and they cause intestinal intestinal permeability and other problems. So, so I'd say anyone listening cut out sugar for sure, and then cut out grains and then see how you feel. And I, it seems almost universal that people feel a lot better once they cut out grains. So I just basically don't, don't think they're really natural for humans to eat.
0: You know what I really liked was I was watching one of your uh, YouTube videos and you, uh, you take the question that, that happens uh, when we talk about grains and people say, "Oh, well, what about the, the Asians that eat all this rice? And you tackled that uh, in a video that was awesome. Can you just explain that? What's going on in Japan? Yeah. Uh, with our perception of, oh, the Japanese eat so much rice. Why, you know, why aren't they obese and all that?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I went to Japan and I made a video. I, I recorded all this footage of how much meat. Every, all they care about is fat, fat, fatty meat, fatty fish, wagyu, and toro. Toro is a fatty tuna everywhere. It's all they, that's like their prized foods and pork. They think a lot of people around Asia, they like consider pork a, a longevity food. And I mean, of course, they do eat rice, yes. But that's mainly for the, the sort of the, the people with less money. It's kind of like this cheap filler that they eat um, if, if you don't have a lot of money to get the real stuff, which is the fish and the meat and the vegetables. So, So, also, they don't eat a ton of sugar. Right? So, you can handle some rice, especially if you evolved eating it. I mean, people in Asia have been eating it for a lot longer than, than we have. And, you know, yes, you can tolerate some of that and, and they're kind of well adapted for it, but they're not eating a bunch of sugar and they're not eating a bunch of flour and they're not eating a bunch of vegetable oils. And when they did start eating those, they actually got really sick. You know, once they started introducing sort of these more Western foods... They do have tons of of heart disease and stroke and some other stuff now, and they have type two diabetes, and they're just not as obese as us. Um, but so, the, so for one thing, they're having their own health problems more recently. And two, when they were doing pretty well throughout history, a lot of people like if you've heard of the blue zones, you know people talk about oh these people in Okinawa they they live so long, and they eat rice or they eat potatoes okay well they're not eating a bunch of sugar and refined grains and vegetable oils they're eating some rice and fish and vegetables and they're eating in moderation right they also have this thing called harihachibu, which means eat till you're 70 percent full so so there there's many other healthy things that they're doing and they're active they're you know they have a strong sense of family they you know exercise there's a there's a lot of stuff there so just telling me that they eat some rice, and that that we all should be eating rice is, is doesn't really make sense,
0: right? Yeah, I, you did a great job on that video, and I encourage everybody to go to your your page and and um, you got some great videos there. Talk about the the third of the the the, cul- the bad culprit, and that would be the seed oil.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we didn't get to that one yet. Um, I had a really interesting podcast with a guy named Tucker Goodrich, who is sort of another kind of engineer type guy that just studies a a lot of this stuff. And and there's a lot of people really universally, when I've talked to all these experts, they all go to the seed oils as a huge problem, something that we haven't really thought about that, that could be one of the biggest causes of chronic disease and these problems we see. And... It's funny because we we thought that saturated fat was bad, so we replaced. We thought it was so healthy to replace it with these vegetable oils, and I think it really backfired. And so, so just to give an overview, vegetable oils are actually industrial seed oils. These are these polyunsaturated fatty acids. These are not natural for us to be eating, right? We only introduced these in I think it was 1865 was the first vegetable oil made and really we didn't come into the mainstream until 1917 maybe with uh crisco i think came around then and these uh um basically they had all this cotton s- seed oil that was left over they're processing cotton and they're like huh what do we do with this these seeds let's mash them into oil and do all these refining processes this crazy industrial process to get the oil out And then they used to use it for, say, machinery and other stuff. It was just for, it was an industrial oil. And then someone had this great idea of, huh, we could partially hydrogenate it and it it would kind of thicken up and we could, well, that's that's Crisco, right? We could make it like butter and we could use these oils or just the, the, the normal oil, not partially hydrogenated. Uh, we we could use this for humans. So before it wasn't even seen as a, something edible. And then we were like, oh, we could use soy soybean oil. We can use all these with all this modern technology in the early 1900s. And then we were like, huh, we could use this instead of we can just feed this to people. It's this leftover product. And and it turned out to be really a bad idea. Um, I don't know if I want it too sciencey, but there's these polyunsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats and saturated fats. And so we these polyunsaturated fats that are in these seed oils, these vegetable oils are ha, are not as stable, right? They they have these unpaired bonds and they can be easily oxidized. So especially when you cook them at high temperatures, they become really damaging to our system. So There's also, they have a high omega-6 content, right? So, people probably heard of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. And we all know the omega-3 are the good ones, right? This is what you get in salmon and stuff like that. And so, we have such a high ratio of omega-6 oils in our diet now. And that's not natural at all. Like Throughout history, we think we were eating about one-to-one ratio, right? and now people are eating 30 to 1 on the omega 6 side 50 100 to 1 you know some people eating a lot of refined foods are eating like 100 times as much omega 6 to omega 3 and that's when problems start to occur so now you so you have this high omega 6 ratio you have this highly refined unnatural oil and you have these polyunsaturated you know these this different type of fat that it is easily oxidizable and that's where a lot of people think is the real cause of heart disease and a lot of this these problems so when
0: you couple that with with a high insulin from from carbohydrates it becomes a, a, a disaster
1: right exactly it's a perfect combo it's how this is why we have heart disease. This is why we have all these chronic diseases. You are having this killer combo of this oxidation, inflammation, the stuff coming from the, um, you know, omega six and from fructose, and and then you couple that with the insulin resistance and the blood high blood sugar, and then you are getting arterial plaques. You are getting insulin resistance. You are getting all the, all the diseases of civilization that we never have had before, and it's so obvious. Because these all popped up when we in modern society, and and these these are the things that we've never done before. We've never refined sugar, and we've refined flowers and refined oils before, and so obviously this is why.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's crazy, and it, and it, part of it. Well, one of it is is money, but the other part too is longevity on in shelf life. At the grocery store. That's why they refined all this. I mean, you look at the flour, in you know, the early uh, nineteen hundreds, nineteen twenty, the flour, bleaching the flour so it can last on the shelf. Same time, they're they coming up with Crisco. They're taking all taking all of the nutrients and the good stuff out, so it can last on the shelf, and. Um, And and really, we're paying the price for that now. And so uh, it's good that you got to cover those. and, And so, again, those three things, sugar, form of carbohydrates, processed food and grains, and then the seed oils. I mean, if nothing else between, you know, the spectrum of diets from carnivore, and, and zero carb to vegan. Uh if if we can agree on one thing and be eliminating
1: those three things. Would you agree? Absolutely. That's that's the biggest takeaway. Just do that. You're gonna find a lot of health. And then yeah, I mean, then once you do that for a few months and years and you want to get more in tune with your body and do some more changes, then yeah, there's a whole nother level and we and, and yeah, continue your journey, but start with that.
0: So I want to I want to uh, move more into um, the positive side. How do we get? I want the word that comes to my mind is performance. How do we get the most performance out of food? And 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 I know that's kind of a, a weird statement, but um, I'm getting. Uh, I, I'm kind of want to set you up for nutrient density and and uh, satiety. Talk mm. about protein. One of Protein is my favorite uh, macronutrient. It's just, you know, I tell people, focus on protein. So talk about nutrient density and satiety, and then talk about the demon, demonization of meat, and and then we'll go to, uh, you know, the environmental aspects and hmm. that kind of thing.
1: Sure, yeah. So nutrient density is my favorite thing ever. Uh, and that's throughout history. That's what humans... Always ate for. We ate for nutrient density. We knew it inherently. It was just, it was just how we lived. And it's you know through trial and error and our human ingenuity, we we figured all these things out. And everything we did was about nutrient density. And what nutrient density means is how many bioavailable, complete, essential fatty acids, amino acids, vitamins, and minerals are in food compared to how much energy there's in food. Energy could be carbs or fat, just empty calories. So, you want the most protein, good fats, and vitamins and minerals in your food and the least amount of extra junk, okay? So, what are those foods? Well, that's basically all the animal foods. They're all the most bioavailable nutrients, right? Your body can use them. They're all the most complete proteins, that your body needs. I mean, a lot of the the plant proteins, people say, oh, well, you can eat beans. There's so much protein. Okay, it's not a complete protein. It doesn't have the full amino acid profile. And it's also a whole bunch of extra energy, right? In that beans, there's a whole bunch of extra carbohydrate. So you'd have to eat so many beans to get enough protein and then you're gonna get fat because you're eating so much extra carb. So you wanna eat foods that have complete proteins complete fatty acids. And these are all the animal foods. And then there's some other, you know, low sugar produce. So, the other good stuff would be herbs, um, you know, like spinach and kale, you know, although some of these things have actually anti-nutrients in them, which is a whole other story of, well, a lot of people eating a lot of raw spinach and kale, they're getting kidney stones, right? Because of the high oxalate content. So, that's a whole other story. But just know that, you know, these these sort of leafy greens, these low-sugar fruits, um, and and all the animal foods, all, you know, meat, fish, eggs, butter. I mean, these are the most nutrient-dense foods you can eat. And liver is, is the most. It, liver is so nutritious. All these organ meats, uh, our ancestors ate a lot. They focused on all the, the bone marrow, the brain, the heart, the kidney. They ate all the bits and pieces. And sometimes they would even give the muscle meat to the dogs. I mean, the lean muscle meats were the least important to them. And it's sad that that's really what we eat most of, but it's still great. It's still good. It's, but if you want to eat a really nutrient dense diet, I would recommend getting a lot of, you know, different parts of the animal and eat nose to tail like our ancestors did. And there's a reason behind it. So um, even even the plant foods, if we want to talk about nutrient density, a lot of the preparations throughout history have been to increase nutrient density. So fermenting foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, stuff like that, that actually brings down the natural toxins that are in plants and it brings up the bioavailability of the nutrients. So I like to eat a lot of um, animal foods and a lot of fermented vegetables. I, I think those are r- really beneficial. And even the uh, Breads, the people who who did eat bread throughout history, and <coughs> excuse me, people, and you know, people say they oh I go to Italy and I eat the bread and I feel okay. Or I go to France. Well, they're they're kind of using these more natural processes of making breads, and they're you know maybe not stuffed with glyphosate, you know, these Monsanto chemicals, and they ferment the grains, and if you ferment them overnight, and then you Get a lot of these nutrients, anti-nutrients out of it, and you make the good stuff more available to the body. So throughout history, everything was based around increasing nutrient density, repairing grains uh, properly if we ate them, sprouting them overnight, soaking beans overnight to get the the lectins out, and eating the the most nutrient-dense parts of the animal and, and focusing on the animal foods and, and fish and oysters as well and fish eggs, so all these things. So that's the most <clears> – <throat> we've always gone for nutrient density. And then the crazy thing is everything in the past 100 years we do decreases nutrient density. So processing of foods throughout history, processing in quotes is just – preparing them in some way just with human hands increased it the nutrient density now everything we do decreases the nutrient density like we talked about we're just increasing shelf life and increasing profit and stuffing a bunch of refined grains oils and sugars in there and all that does is decrease the nutrients (laughs) in our food so um it is amazing
0: (laughs) it's amazing um when I'm sure you, when you came to the realization that you're on the wrong path eating wise and when when uh, and myself, the same thing, what really uh, came to light was nutrient density and 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 really looking at what we're eating and why we're eating these foods. And it's we become a society that is hooked on flavor and flavor dominates, and I, you know you you tell people you know what you're eating or why and or, or why you're eating. And they ask you why, is because I eat for nutrient density, and they're like, look at you like crazy. Well, don't you like don't you miss donuts or pizza or these other things? Like they look at you like you got a third head because. Their favorite flavors aren't part of your of, of your palate of of what you're eating, and it, it was a big shift for me, and I'm sure it is for you to to say. And I use this term with with people I consult with, and uh, pardon my French here, but I say, why would I want to pee in my gas tank? You know, and mm-hmm. that's virtually what we're doing yeah. when we're eating these fluff. These foods with all this processed food, um, like you said, it, processed and, and uh, denatured and, and nutrients ripped out of them for shelf life. Why would I put that in my food, uh, in my body, when I can have, you know, a steak or, or ground beef or fish or liver? I mean, that's why I say talk about performance food yeah that, that's performance food the other fluff and all the sides you get and that's what drives me crazy you try and go to a, a barbecue place it's you, you get a you know six six or eight ounces of you know brisket or something and then you, you get three sides with it's like i don't want sides <laughs> i just want the meat or if, if they do it's, it's for me it's collard greens and 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 maybe some brussels sprouts but um Anyway, it just it's it's amazing. That's what shifted me in to 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 go away from my my palate of, of food that I'm eating based on uh, flavor, and uh, to nutrient density. And people look at you like you have a third eye or something.
1: Well, yeah. So it it was a process for me to switch to. I mean, yeah, I've spent my whole life eating those high carb foods that are delicious. And it, it took me a while. Yeah, it took me a year maybe to transition fully. But I think that they're the crazy ones now looking back. And it's more delicious, I think, to eat these nutrient-dense foods. When looking back, I, I really don't miss that other type of stuff that much because my palates change and I get to enjoy the good stuff. So, I mean, the the, the, the y parts are the cheap filler. Like, you know, I talk to different, you know, like chefs and they're like, yeah, I mean, the, the finer the food you get, the less of that cheap filler you have, right? The expensive good part is that pate, the liver, the filet mignon, the lobster, the, all this stuff. That's the good stuff. I mean, if you go to a cheap restaurant, they're trying to make it affordable and they stuff a bunch of pasta on your plate. You go to a good restaurant, there's, you know, just it's all fancy, you know, and, and it's just like, this the meat and the fat are are the hero and there's little garnishes of of some vegetables and stuff, but there's no pile of mashed potatoes. So I think it's delicious to eat this way, and you just have to get used to it. And there there's just no, yeah, like you said, you don't need these foods. I mean, yes, we're used to them. Yes, they're delicious, but there's a different delicious out there. And I think that's with the it, it's just so Awesome that it lines up. That these nutrient dense foods are the most delicious foods,
0: right? And we, um, so, so the so the, the center of our food is going to be some kind of meat, some kind of protein and fat. And um, why is it that that there are people in in, in groups out there that are demonizing? meat yeah Um, and what's that doing to us what's it in the environmental aspects and that kind of thing
1: yeah I alluded to this earlier about we got protein wrong and then I also talked about Gary Fetke Dr. Gary Fetke and his wife so they looked into this they're like okay why when he was silenced he got it the medical board tried to silence him because he was saying not to eat sugar which was cutting into food profits and all these food companies and dietitians were in cahoots so they're like why so we're giving them all the science of why that there's no need for carbohydrates and how good protein and fat are and they're not caring right they're not hearing us we're giving them all the science they don't care and then they started realizing hmm there's there's an agenda here there's there's a bigger story of why people think that meat is bad and it traces back to the 1860s and it's really crazy if you look into it, 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 it I, I i keep going back of like how like the hippies oh they they thought meat was bad but you can keep going further so the the furthest back you can probably get well because for all of history meat was regarded as the prize thing for all of history right this is what we want the most and then it first started becoming bad around 1860s with this seventh day adventists so it's this, this church that thought that we should be eating A garden of Eden diet. They thought we should eat a vegan diet for religious views and that meat was bad, that meat was unpure. And I shouldn't get into all the details of the story, but there's a woman who just, she had like visions. Like basically this was around the temperance movement where women were sort of didn't have as many rights and their husbands were beating them. And they thought that that red meat was the problem they thought it was alcohol and red meat and it probably was alcohol <laughs> but it wasn't red meat they so they, they she thought that red meat made men angry and violent and that it was unpure and so they started this religion based around eating a pure diet which is all plant-based and he they actually got john harvey kellogg involved when he was young and and he's you know invented cornflakes and all this cereal and so they he was involved in this where they just We're promoting eat not not eating meat and eating these grains and these whole grains and this this sort of cereal based diet that was supposed to be more pure, and then that kind of that sentiment like really just kept going right into the fifties and sixties. Then we we got more heart disease which was probably because of the all the industrial oils and all the you know different sugar and different stuff we were starting to eat but we blamed it on the meat so then so we did some bad science with the whole Ansel Key story and all that and so that kind of built on the this demonization of meat then we we kept going into yeah like the hippies movement 60s and 70s then we thought the environment aspect was was bad, that we shouldn't be eating meat because it's hurting the environment or we can't feed the world if we're eating meat. You know, there's books called like Population Bomb and Diet for a Small Planet. So around the 60s and 70s, they threw in this sort of environmental angle and this is why we shouldn't be eating meat. And then it it keeps changing. So throughout history, they, they keep getting different views on why we shouldn't be eating meat. And then, it, then, it's so then we got into the 80s, 90s, and then they started doing some science, uh, some epidemiology, that, this weak science, and they're like, oh, well, people who eat meat are getting more cancer. And really, that just, meat is almost just like a marker for someone being unhealthy because people who eat a lot of meat, they also eat a ton of carbohydrates. They're eating fast food, they're eating the soda, the fries, they're smoking more, they're exercising less. So, it's no wonder that that correlates to people who, who maybe get a little more cancer. So, so basically you see it over history, just religious angles, environmental angles, and, and bad science that kind of just keep piling on this information that it's bad when there's no actual good science behind any of it. And it's, it's all of just this general view that it's bad and it's it's built into our society. So, it's so hard to get that out of your head. Like I talked to so many women specifically who just don't like meat. They don't like to eat meat because they, they've heard so much about their whole life that it's bad that they like are scared to eat it. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a huge problem that th- this information has been just so s- saturated into our general information that we just believe it. And that the mainstream media is just so on that side. Part of the problem is it just seems like the right side to be on, right? It's like no one, no one's in the pro meat side in the general me- media, right? It's all, it's all just the side of, because uh, they think they're, they're right with the environmental aspects and they think that they're spreading good information and they're the, you know, holier than thou type of thing. Like the less meat we eat, the better. So you you kind of teed me up for the environmental side as well which is all connected in this and that's something we got really wrong and yeah i i dove deep into this and i started looking at data and like the epa data and like all this kind of emissions data because i hear oh you know you watch these stupid movies on netflix like cowspiracy and they're like hey the you know the the cows are killing the environment and there's more animal agriculture produces more Greenhouse gases in the transportation industry, which is absolutely absurd, has been retracted, completely debunked. The authors of that study that they use in that film publicly admitted that they twisted the data and they were completely wrong. And there's animal agriculture is it's a couple percent. It's like three or four percent of greenhouse gases compared to the transportation industry is more like 19 to 21 percent. So, so everything that you've heard about uh, is pretty questionable and probably wrong about the environmental I- impact of cows. So, there's so much to get into here, but I mean, if you just talk about methane, there's more methane emitted by termites and wetlands, <laughs> just things that happen in nature than cows. Methane has a, a short sh- uh, sh- uh, sort of, not shelf life, life in the atmosphere. It's, like it's only 10 years compared to other you know, CO2 and stuff, emissions from fossil fuels and from transportation is like a thousand years. So, maybe, okay, maybe cows do emit a little bit of methane. But for one, cows have been doing that and bison and different ruminants have been doing that for all of history. And two, that kind of would would just dissipate. It has a short life cycle and it is not really a big problem. A lot of people, scientists studying this stuff uh, now know that it's not a big problem. So a lot of these environmental myths have just been propagated by animal rights activists and since they they have the loudest voices we just believe them. But when you when you look into it, it, our 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 actual cattle numbers have been going down, our emissions over the last few decades have been going down. We're actually having less emissions from cattle, but no one's talking about it. We um we're all cattle has spent about two-thirds of their life or more on pasture, right? No one's talking about that. Everyone just thinks, oh, well, they're just sitting in a feedlot all day their whole life and, you know, mistreated. That that couldn't be further from the truth. I, It's hard to expose yourself to this information. You have to find it. It's not out there, but you can. I've listened to lectures from ranchers and farmers and and look at the other side of the data and it's very different than what you think these these cows are out there on pasture for most of their life they're do they're they're just getting natural sunlight natural water they're okay even going back to these bad statistics and trumped up numbers that they're using the other side these vegan vegan animal rights people are using all the water that falls on a field so they're calculating that into the amount of water it takes to get a pound of beef. So, if you've probably seen these things, it's like, oh, well, it takes, you know, this like a thousand gallons to make one pound of beef, but like, you know, this vegetable or this bean, it's like only like 200. Well, there, 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 there's so many ways that they manipulate the data and use, you know, rainfall that's just naturally falling on a field and they calculate that in. So, just know that a lot of this stuff is really off and and purposely... Uh, miscalculated, and yeah. Oh my god, so much. Sorry, I, I'm like yeah. going no, in circles great. here. <laughs>
0: if 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 there, um, is there a book out there if we can direct somebody to to talk about that animal agriculture?
1: Well, or I know there. Mostly- yeah, well, there's there's po- there's people like Dr. Peter Ballerstedt. If you can look up, I did okay. a podcast with him. My podcast is awesome. Peak Human. Um, he's spreading this information. You find him at Grass Based. So mm-hmm. uh, you find him, Doctor Frank Mitloner. He works out at UC Davis. He's uh, you can look him up. Uh, we can link to this in the show notes. But uh, there's uh, there's a book called Grass Fed Nation. I read, which is great. It's kind of out of more in, in England, but talking about how they're using small mixed farms, um, like going back to the way we used to do things. What's you you're getting f- animals. Ruminants, you know, cows and sheep and stuff like that on, on the lands with the plants, and you're growing them together and in, in perennial instead of annual uh, plants, right? So that you're not tilling the soil and you're not doing this monocultures, you know, of just large fields of just one, you know, corn, wheat, and soy. You're, you're doing smaller farms with animals mixed in, and the, the animals put nutrients and nitrogen back in the soil you know and if you do it correctly you're it's a perfect harmonious cycle that actually builds soil health and sequesters carbon you're getting carbon back in the soil using animals like cows when the the vegan propaganda people are telling you that it's the opposite so i think gabe brown too you can look up gabe brown he has a ted talk he's a north dakota farmer uh, oh, and I think he has a oh, book out soon. I'm going to talk to him soon. I talked to him a while ago. He's great. And um, Alan Savory has a TED talk as well. He's this okay. great guy.
0: Yeah, we'll link all those in the show notes. I I'm just amazed when you look at a, a cow or the ruminants, and what I saw a, a, a neat meme <laughs> online, and it said it showed a picture of a cow, and it said my superpower. Is I eat grass and make steak from it and it's just when you look at when you look at cows and what they do they take they take stuff that uh, you know uh, plant sources that we're not even able to eat or choose not to eat they can eat weeds and grass and whatever and turn it into protein and fat that we can thrive off it is, what an amazing animal and and animals I should say the, the ruminants and they're designed to do that for us and it's it's such a beautiful thing and to to demonize that is just it I just we and it's such a small percentage of people for the the the, the voice they have and that's what we need to fight against a, 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 this small proportion of people and some of them are the elitists, um, you know, the guy from Virgin um, Airlines, Richard and Branson. Bill Gates and Branson and Bill Gates and these people are pushing for this agenda of going meatless um, for the environment and they're not and this is what I want to launch into this next topic is veganism is not a nutritious alternative for the human. Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the big food lies, uh, to mention the film name. But So they always go back to that. I interact with a lot of vegans, and they try to attack me on Twitter a lot and Instagram. But they always fall back on, like, we don't have to be eating animals because a vegan diet is – just as nutritious or more. They they try to claim, they always fall back. Hey, why do I say we've been eating animals for all of history? And they're like, well, now we know that we don't have to. And I think that's totally false. So a lot of people do a vegan diet and initially they feel better. And because of course they cut out so much trash and junk food. So yes, you're going to feel better. But you, when you go beyond that, it always seems to <laughs> disintegrate. Your health always seems to fail. There's very few people that really do well on a vegan diet for more than a couple of years, and it's, it's because the f- the nutrients in the food is not as bioavailable. This is not an opinion. This is hard science that plant foods do not have as bioavailable nutrients as animal foods. There, it, there's no way around it. So they're they're trying to get it all by eating tons of plants, tons of different ratios. And, you you know, to do it correctly, you'd be, you have to have to have a spreadsheet of what you're eating each day and a scale and trying to weigh it all out and get all the, you're like, you're going to be eating like fermented natto, you know, fermented soy, like this gross tasting thing that's like, you'd be eating algae, you'd be eating, uh, you know, a million combinations of, of different foods trying to get, the nutrition profile that you could just get with a simple piece of steak and like an egg or something so um it, it's just it's it's not nutritionally complete they a lot of vegans are malnourished they're lacking in a lot of essential things like b12 we all know but also you know protein and they're also lacking in you know iron and and zinc and different b vitamins and stuff like that so yeah i mean you could point to a few people that are doing well but they're uh, most of them are, are well a lot of them are say people point to a power of a, a bodybuilder it's like well they're maybe the one person that can eat a vegan diet because they're so interested in tracking it and they you know they're so meticulous about it but also because there's putting so much energy out and such a high output that they can eat so many extra calories so they can actually eat enough of all these plant foods to to squeak out enough nutrition, right? I mean, to get enough nutrition as you, you can get in a steak, you'd have to eat like 5,000 calories of different plant foods. So, yes, this vegan bodybuilder can eat 5,000 calories and barely get enough protein out of that food because they're burning off so many calories. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just hard when people try to point to like a few good you know, vegan stories of people doing it when the, the vast majority end up with tons of problems, They their their teeth, actually it's crazy, it's their, their teeth health goes, um just, just totally gets screwed up with, people have their teeth fall out, they have their hair fall out, they have skin issues, they have mental issues, like there's so many things that are wrong when you, you're not getting enough of these fat soluble vitamins and fat and you need fat in your diet and Oh, they really yeah. need
0: to supplement a lot too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they. It, it's amazing, you know. I watched testimonies from from vegans, and they said uh, my my refrigerator was full of of supplements, and uh, daily, they had to, you know, take all of this stuff. And I mean, it, it seems common sense to say if I have to supplement with all these things, maybe my diet isn't optimal. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. Crazy. What else uh, would you? What else would you like to to offer up to to the people um, that are listening, men? What do What do men in their fifties really? I mean, what's the bottom line message from Brian Sanders and Food lives <laughs> Besides, go what get the movie ah, and hey. share it with as many people as you can um, what is it about fifty year olds? and what do they need to focus on?
1: Yeah, so, as people age, they tend to need more protein. They need to focus on protein. You need to focus on keeping your body mass up, your muscle mass, your lean muscle mass. as as you age, the number one kind of sign of of poor health is this sarcopenia, this loss of muscle mass is muscle mass is sort of very correlated to poor health. So, uh, like you said, focus on protein. so to to cover the micro macronutrients, I say, focus on protein, embrace fat, minimize carbs. So I'd say that that's just a simple takeaway if you if you do you know cut out the sugars, refined grains, vegetable oils, and you just do that, you're gonna be a lot healthier. like every meal, like you said, focus on the protein. It should be built around a good animal source of protein and then, i mean don't eat tons of fat some people kind of go crazy like on a keto diet you know and they're chugging butter all, all the time but but just know it, it embrace it it's it's healthy you know if you're eating these healthy fats it's good but if you want to you know stay in shape or lose weight don't be chugging extra fat and then of course minimize the carbs so so keep your muscle mass up e- eat you know focus on protein and and then get out in the gym i think um Cardio is awesome, but it's not super good for weight loss. I think it's great to do some weight training and I don't think it's that hard uh, to do. I try to do a simple program myself as an example of of I changed my body composition and and built a lot of muscle by doing simple exercises in a little apartment complex gym where I just do a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, squats you know, throw around some dumbbells. That's all I do. I don't do any anything else. So, um, you know, do whatever works for you. But I like to say you don't need to get complicated. You don't need to, you know, make it unless you want to. Obviously, if you want to do it, go join a gym and do all kinds of stuff. But if you're just beginning, just do some push-ups and pull-ups and squats and you're going to have great results. And I have a little tagline, eat densely, move intensely. So, it's kind of the opposite of eat less, move more, where I think that's just, and I'm sure you agree, it's just a stupid thing that we've been trying to push for 50 years. You know, the government's just, oh, eat less, move more. I mean, it's so stupid. That doesn't help anyone do anything, right? Like that doesn't, everyone kind of knows that you should do that. But really, what you should be doing is eat densely, which is eat the nutrient-dense foods, and then you're going to be full. And you're, you know, and then you're going to eat less. I mean, so you need to tell people how to do it. Like you want to eat nutrient-dense foods so that you can get proper nutrition and you're going to lose weight and move intensely. I don't think we need to be everyone doing marathons and trying to do cardio for three hours a day. I think we need to do some intense exercises, do hits, right? Do some, you know, like sprinting, do some like high intensity stuff and it won't take as long. And you're going to get some good muscle growth from that.
0: Awesome. So where can people find you and, you know, all your links and all that kind of stuff? And what's coming up for you next?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I just kind of launched my company called Sapien. So my whole thing is based around human, like what are humans supposed to be doing? So sapien.org has all my stuff. It has links to the Food Lies film has links to the Peak Human podcast, which you can find anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, I interview all the top experts, like you said, that are in the film and and not in the film. Um, And I've gotten to do great in-depth episodes with them. So, you can check out that. And I'm also doing some health technology. So, I want to build some tools for people to use for doctors to use and healthcare providers or people like you who help other people with nutrition. Um, we're building apps that, that track your weights. You know, you can use a smart scale and it it can go, your weight can go straight into the app and then your health coach or your doctor can see that each day. and, And you're, you're staying accountable and you can measure your ketones if you want, or your blood glucose or, um, text your, your, your health coach, your doctor, so it's it's a communication tool that that I'm building, and I think that is going to be really useful for for healthcare providers and patients to stay in touch and and I, I'm just really excited about that. Is is going beyond just the film and the podcast? Is you know trying to build something that people actually need and it will will help them instead of some other sort of like keto supplement or something you know that people are doing,
0: right? Man that's that's great work. Thank you for doing that and contributing to to the community in, in that way making tools for us to be more efficient and that kind of thing. But and that's the reason for this podcast. I wanted to bring you on because I think every man should have an understanding of how metabolism works and what foods enhance their metabolism and make them vibrant because growing old doesn't have to suck and it really doesn't and and as i'm going through this aging process when i shifted my my macros and eating more dense food and and um doing some weight training some resistance exercises it came back it's a little slower coming back but um uh, uh, I just want to thank you, Brian, for, for all this information. You got a, a, a ton of great information on your site. I love your sapien.org site and, and um, your, your movie looks great. I, I was able to contribute to that as far as money. And um, I hope that others can, will find that uh, valuable in, in that kind of thing. So I thank you for your time. Look forward to, ha- to having you again sometime and with you know when when the movie launches and after and i'm sure you're going to do something else really (laughs) neat because that's just how you are you you know
1: i got big plans and good and we yeah we're already kind of getting footage for a second film which goes into the the next level of topics and yeah thank you so much for you know having me on and so i can spread this message and for what you're doing i mean i think that's really valuable to, to to let People know that (laughs) getting old doesn't have to suck and that, um, I mean, you know, there's a great examples of guys like Mark Sisson who are in fantastic shape. They're 65 years old. I got a chance to play ultimate frisbee with him in Miami when we filmed with him and he was sprinting around the fields with 18 year olds. It's insane. And it's just, it's just the simple stuff we've been talking about is what he does. And I think it's really valuable what you're doing as well.
0: Great. Well, thank you again. I look forward to talking to you and seeing what you're up to. I can't wait for your your next film after that,
1: too. (laughs) All right,
0: Steve. Take care. Uh, We'll talk soon. Thanks, Steve. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Finishing Strong podcast. If you've been impacted by what you've heard on this episode, like, comment, and subscribe, and tell a friend. Follow our guests and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm finishing strong.